0: Show Me the Science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, Luke O'Neill here and welcome to my Show Me the Science podcast, where every week I pick a topic which I hope is of interest to you, if you're listening, and then me as well, of course. And I try to pick things which I am strongly interested in, or I work on myself, or I have a specific interest in. And this week is a very interesting topic for my research and for many biologists. It's the science of the genome. The genome is a big word, I'll explain what that is in a minute, I'm sure I've mentioned it before. But what's especially interesting is, it's the science of the dark genome. Now the genome is the recipe to make you. It's all your DNA, the total amount of DNA that codes for all of life, you and all species on Earth have their own genomes. And we have won the human genome, there's the fly genome, the mouse genome, all sorts you see. But the thing is, we've realised and we knew this for a while anyway, that lots of bits of the genome and we don't know what it does. This study shows a fifth of the genome is dark. We don't know what that fifth does. Now it's a very important topic because if you want to know how the machine of life works say your body, how does it work? And then of course if it gets broken, can you fix it in disease? You need to know all the parts, don't you? And it's a bit like, say, a car engine, which I often use as an example. We don't know a fifth of the parts of that engine and what they do at all. So how can we then understand how the engine works? And if the engine breaks down, what if a part of the dark genome or dark engine breaks? Well then we won't understand that unless know what that part does so it's a very important aspect of biology to figure out all the component parts in the genome and a fifth is unknown I'm going to tell you some ideas in terms of what what those parts might do now the word genomics let's get some more definitions so we call it the genome we call it genomics or genomics Uh, we often see many words in my business and then omic and what it really means is um, body actually the word om comes from soam and soul means body, so it's the body of something and it might be the body of your your, your recipe, I guess is one way to think of genomics. There's also metabolomics, that's all the metabolism in your body. The totality of all the metabolism is called, the area is called metabolomics and my lab works on metabolomics a lot actually, we work on metabolites in the immune system. Proteomics is the study of all the proteins in your body and then transcriptomics is all the transcripts. Now transcripts are what come off the DNA, RNA is the molecule that's made from DNA that's called transcription. So transcriptomics is the study of RNA. Now this sounds like a whole stew of words, doesn't it? But this is a very important aspect of biology. It began advancing, I guess, about 20-25 years ago, when all these omics began to be studied. In my own lab, metabolomics, all these metabolites, that became possible because 10 years ago, roughly, uh, a thing called mass spectrometry was made better to measure all these metabolites and you could document them all, you know. So basically, the, the words often come from technology that's being used to document these thing- things. So genomics, metabolomics, proteomics, trans scriptomics good lord and guess what if you put them all together what's it called multi And some of the best publications these days involve multiomics, where you're measuring all the proteins, all the DNA, all the RNA, and all the metabolites in the one sample. Now, can you imagine that? And my lab has managed to do this, for example, in macrophages, a key cell type we work on the macrophage, as you'd have heard before if you've listened, is the frontline set of the immune system. We study macrophages all the time. We've done multiomics on macrophages in health and disease to document, you know, what's different and try to understand all these different component parts. I guess, and then very importantly, if they go wrong in disease, then we can maybe fire new therapies at the thing that's gone wrong. So it's a very important part of, of medical research at the moment. And the word, as I say, comes from ohm. Ohm kind of means body. The first ohm to be characterized was the ribosome. The ribosome is where RNA gets made ribo comes from ribonucleic acid. So ribosomes were one of the first ohms. Uh, The lysosome is another thing in your cells. The lysosome is the place where everything gets broken down, like the recycling centre from lysis, which means to break. So these ohms were there already, and it means something big, I guess, is, is another way to think of it. And then finally, one last one before I get into the detail, is the inflammasome. Now there's a word for you. The inflammasome is a huge, big protein complex lots of different proteins in macrophages that drive inflammation and my lab has been characterizing these inflammasomes Uh, the name was coined in 2001 by a swiss biochemist called york chop one of our great heroes so inflammasomes are big bodies in cells that drive inflammation so these ohms are, are what i'm getting at are very important so if you want to show off uh, in the pub tonight or whenever wherever you might be talk about multiomics. now what about this dark side of genomics if you will well you see there was a huge project to get the human genome it was called the Human Genome Project and that was a great goal because it meant sequencing all the DNA that is in a cell that makes a human and that Human Genome Project was begun and then finally, by the year 2000, we had the Human Genome and there was a massive fanfare and Tony Blair got up and so did, I think it was George Bush at the time, and made the big announcement it was done as a big collaboration between the US and the UK, full credit to both countries because they put a huge amount of money, it was very expensive to do, in the UK, the Sanger Centre in Cambridge did some of this and the big announcement, we now have the Human Genome, the total content of the DNA, a full recipe now allegedly, that makes you and then if that genome goes wrong it might cause disease but there was the dirty secret they didn't know what all the genes did in the genome now remember genes are made of DNA there's lots of different genes in the genome they make the proteins and so you, know, you need to find out what these genes are doing is the overall goal here but still the fact that uh, it was all they had the sequence they knew the order of the letters in the DNA, and that's what the Human Genome Project was trying to do, but then it got more tricky to say what do those genes do. If four-fifths is understood and one-fifth is unknown, as has now been revealed, we need to figure out what this fifth does. Highly relevant for diseases like cancer, inflammation, autoimmune disease, you know, development when things develop and all the developmental abnormalities, you need to know the parts list. It's now, I guess there's a new name for this, unknown, U-U-N-K-N-O-M-E. or unknownomics is what we're now moving into, to try and characterise what these different parts are. Now there's two types of things coming off, the recipe. One is the genes make the proteins, and those proteins build your body, they make muscle and they make the immune system proteins, and all the stuff in your body's made of proteins. That's coded for by the DNA, as I guess many listening will know. Uh, but secondly, the genes also code for things called microRNAs, another technical word. They're the controllers of the gene expression. And we use the word expression to say when a gene is being sort of activated to make the RNA, to make the protein, that's being controlled by a special set of little things called microRNAs. And they are, they're of great interest. They're like the on or off switches to express these genes. And that, that's what the main function of all this DNA is. And of course the biochemists, for years, Going back over a hundred years now, we're trying to purify all the component parts, and they were purifying the proteins and characterising them, and they would purify enzymes in digestion. They would purify antibodies which defend you. But of course, if you know the genes, you can tell from the gene what the protein is. And genomics began to come in as a way to predict proteins in a way, like again, like like a recipe. A great analogy which you know I love, are a recipe to bake a cake. And let's say the recipe says, put this amount of eggs into the cake, right? That's like a gene saying, make X in this case, it's eggs to make the cake work, you see. And the recipe's found in the DNA. Now let's get a bit more deeper so this study really was begun and, and led by a very well-known scientist called matthew freeman who i happen to know matthew's in the uk he, he got me into the european molecular biology organization good friend of mine anyway matthew freeman has led this study and he has le- you know sort of discussed it a lot and what's going on here and he he said this is the beginning of the end of the unknown okay so in other words we now know a fifth have sort of unknown functions and now the challenge would be to figure out what these unknown functions are. Now how did this team led by Matthew do it? Well they compared the genomes of different species and we have all these different genomes. So for example we have human genome we have worm genome the nematode is the type of worm that scientists work on we have the fruit fly Drosophila its genome and there's bacterial genomes and the team lined them all up and compared them and they looked for things they had in common right now nature is inclined to be parsimonious it'll use the same protein across different species so for example if you want to digest proteins in your diet the gene makes an enzyme called trypsin many species have genes for trypsin and you can line them all up and compare them and then figure out what the trypsin gene looks like and what it does and that's what these guys did in a sense they looked across all these different genomes they managed to get a score for what was known about the genes if it was less than one the gene had an unknown function (laughs) you <laughs> The top 10, mercifully, where we know the functions of these top 10 with this scoring system had a score greater than one and they're famous genes that do things that are well known. So the system worked, if you like, using this complex scoring system. I won't go into the details. It's quite complicated. But if you get a score of less than one, comparing all these different genomes for a given gene, that means you don't know what it does. If it's greater than one, you know what it does. And lots of genes, of course, we do indeed know the functions of. So so it was a system that really worked, I guess, is the way to think of it. Now, what they did next was... They went to the fruit fly as a model organism. Now, the fruit fly has been studied for decades by biologists. In fact, genes were first described in fruit flies, first seen there. called Morgan saw them for the very first time. Um, The reason why fruit flies are, are worked on is you can breed them very quickly. You can breed flies all the time, basically. And then secondly, you can knock the genes out of flies to ask the question, what does that gene do? So they're a great model organism to say, what does that gene do? And given that we have this conservation across species, if you knock out a gene in the fruit fly, there's a similar gene in humans and it affects the fly in a certain way. Let's say a muscle gene, for instance, and the fly's muscles don't form. That's evidence that that gene is involved in making muscle. And then because there's a similar one in human, you can now say that gene is involved in muscles in human. And of course, sometimes those genes are mutated in human. And you might learn about muscle disease for example. So they use the fruit fly and guess what they knocked out of the fly one by one a tour de force, however there was one, 300 of the unknown genes. Okay so you could take one of the unknown ones scoring less than one, knock it out of the fly which means delete it from the fly, let the fly develop and see what happens to the fly right. Now first of all and rather strikingly 25% the fly died. Now isn't that amazing? So therefore, 25% of these 300 unknown genes are critical for life. How could we have missed them, is the question, because they're essential for life. And that's the first sort of finding, in a sense. There's a whole new set of genes now, at least in terms of function, which are essential for life. They're now being studied in great detail, right? Another 25% were involved in fertility. If you knocked it out of the fly, the fly couldn't procreate, as it were, couldn't fertilise an egg or whatever. Another part of this second 25% were involved in development. So the fly didn't develop properly and became sort of um, abnormal in a way through development. A third type were involved in movement. So if again, if he knocked out some of these, the fly couldn't move. And the fourth was resilience to stress. Now I like that one because some of those are in the fly's immune system. And the fly will, if you stress it with an infection, those genes are needed for the fly to fight the infection, say. Or, let's say, heat shock, which we discussed in a previous podcast. The fly can't respond well to heat. It's a resilience to things uh, that were genes identified. Now, this is the huge advance. Now, again, this is all based on knocking the gene out. What the gene actually does, real mechanistically, would still not be fully worked out. But you can imagine now a treasure trove. Of genes have now been described that do these various things that weren't known before. And of course, the huge excitement is this should have a big impact on human health. Now, what to remember that? Let's say, for instance, we take a disease and you find a genetic difference that's involved in that disease, and you might know what that gene does. It'll be in this dark genome. From this data with the fly, you might say, oh, that gene is doing X whatever X might be. And so we can learn then what the basis for that disease is very importantly. And also what's great about Matthew's work is it's all freely available. You can download all this information and go in and look yourself and maybe a gene you're interested in but you don't know what the function does, maybe he's found what that function is in the fly, you see, for example. Or indeed, that scoring system to get an idea what the gene does. And Matthew, in an interview, said something very interesting. I think it was in The Guardian is where I came across this, of course. Let's give The Guardian credit for the interview. He calls this, one problem in biology has been the streetlight effect. Now, what's the streetlight effect? Well, if you drop your keys in the dark, right? You'll go searching under the streetlight to try and find them where the light is. You don't look beyond the streetlight, you see. And therefore, a lot of this stuff is outside the obvious places. And of course, research funding is often to play it safe, to look at things we know a lot about, rather than going into this vast unknown, which is what this dark genome is. So Matthew was saying, look, we need to go beyond the streetlight where the known genes are, into this unknown world and study those. And, of course, his work is really informing that in all kinds of ways. Uh, These whole new vistas might open up. He's calling it genetic, or maybe the Guardian article called this Genetic Terra Incognita. So it's a brand new world there of unknown genes. A fifth of them, can you believe it? I'm trying to figure out what these genes do now is the mission. And then secondly, linking those genes into diseases where we don't know the full basis of. And remember, we know about some of the genetics behind things like rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, that we work on, or Crohn's disease, or Parkinson's. But many of these, there's genetics in there, and we don't know what those genes are doing, remember, and they're different. So again, this could really inform medical research down the line. So we're looking at a very interesting period, we think. Matthew himself is talking about the next 25 years, because to figure all this out it's not going to be not going to be easy but suddenly Matthew and his colleagues are shining a light not a street light shining a torch onto this dark genome and figuring out what a fifth of these genes are doing that we didn't know what they did before. And it's the beginning of this new era for genomics. So there you have it, the science of the dark genome. Hope you found that uh, understandable and anything is complicated. I hope you were able to follow it. And of course, I'm very happy to take any questions if you email me. I get a few emails um, and I'm happy if you want to ask me anything on this this one or even suggest other ones, as I've said before. So thanks very much for listening as ever. And the podcast is available for download every Thursday from wherever you get your Podcasts, and it's a News Talk production.